Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. As you probably know, we won't cover all these verses tonight, but we will hopefully begin to be unpack some of, these some of this passage. Uh, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And we looked last week, by the way, if you remember, because he says finally, don't think he's about done. He's still got 44 more verses to go. He's going to say finally again in another time in chapter 4. Paul used the word finally not to say that he's done, but to actually say that he's making a transition and he wants you to pay attention. And so here he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Also, if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day and of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had counted as loss for the sake of Christ, indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, as you know, there's a lot here. But let's go back to the beginning verses of this section where Paul says, to, uh, it, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it's safe for you. It must be important if Paul is repeating something, if he's reiterating something to them. And it also is so serious. Paul says that knowing this will keep them safe. So we need to get right into it. What is Paul talking about here? What is this thing that he wants to remind them of and that he wants to write to them about again? And he jumps right to it. I mean, he doesn't even beat around the bush. Look at verse 2. He says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and put in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We already looked at that term dog last time we were together and how it was a term the Jewish you know, people thought, that's how they looked toward the Gentiles and saw them as the dogs. And Paul actually used the word they used toward the Gentiles to describe them and saying that, that they were the dogs, actually. They were the ones outside of a relationship with God. Yet at the same time, he got, calls them the mutilators of the flesh. And then he says, for we are the true circumcision. <clears throat> As you're about to see, and I'm going to lay it out for you, we're going to do a full study of this. There was a group of Jewish people and some Jewish Christians who had a strong belief that the circumcision rites that God had given through the law of Moses were not only important, they were necessary for salvation in their eyes. And as you know, the Jewish people, that's how they were proud of their circumcision and proud of their standing before God. Yet at the same time, there were some Jewish Christians, Jews who became believers in Jesus Christ, who had fallen prey to this false teaching that you needed to put your faith in Christ. But you also had to do some other things, too, in order to be righteous before God. And as you're about to see, that crept into everywhere Paul went. He had to deal with people that were following around, spreading this false teaching. Now, again, as you're going to see, we don't really deal with that issue today. At most of our churches, we don't ever have anybody say, hey, yeah, but have you been circumcised? I know you put and believe in Jesus, but have you been circumcised? That's not a real issue to this day. But I want you to see as we go into this, that that same attitude, though, of faith plus man's effort has crept into our churches today, no matter the denomination and it's a danger. And that's why we need to understand that as you're, we're going to end up with tonight, that if you don't hear anything else that we say tonight, hear this. Salvation is only by faith alone through God's grace alone. And that is it. There's nothing you do. There's no additive that you put to it. 
If you are saved, it's because God gave it to you because of faith. And that is it. Yet without realizing it, in many of our different churches and different denominations we've come from, there has always been that little bit of an attitude that says, I know that you're saved because you believe in Jesus, but you've got to do this too in order to be righteous before God. Paul says in here, no, my righteousness comes only from God himself. Any righteousness I have, he gave to me, has nothing to do with anything I do. Now, what I want to do, though, tonight is I want to kind of show you how this has been something that Paul's been dealing with, not just with the church in Philippi, but all along. Go back to Acts chapter 15. <clears throat> Acts chapter 15, and look at verses 1 through 21. It says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Oh, by the way, there are some that will teach that you have to have a second baptism or you're not saved. Some will teach you that you have to speak in tongues or you're not saved. Some will say anything. But if you had this, it, folks, <laughs> salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone. And that is it. Be careful of anyone that adds anything else to it. Yeah, but did you keep the sacraments? Yeah, but did you follow these rituals? Yeah, but did you have last rites? It looks and takes on a different form in all different denominations. But this danger that Satan, as you're going to see, is chasing all around as the believers were cropping up and people were coming to faith all over the globe. Satan would send his workers in there to try to corrupt it. So that it would, well, I can't stop this preaching about faith in Jesus Christ. But maybe if we can add a little bit of man to it, it will be corrupted because it's not salvation by faith alone. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. He said, many on that day are going to say, Lord, Lord, <laughs> didn't we do this? And didn't we do this? And didn't we preach in your name? And didn't we cast out demons? I mean, we were doing stuff. And God says, depart from me, I never knew you. Folks, it's not your effort. In me dealing with mostly with Baptists, you'd be amazed how many of the older generation. As I travel around the country and will sit at a meal with somebody after a service or sometime at a banquet that I'm speaking at or whatever. And I'll get alone with somebody and I'll say to them, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Because I've never met this person. I want to know, do they know who Jesus is? And do they understand salvation? And most often they say, and this is an amazing thing to me. People have been in the church for a long time. I hope so. <laughs> Folks, you'd be amazed how many people say, I hope so. And they, I'll always ask them, what do you mean you hope so? And this is what they say. They say, well, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for my sins. And I'm also trying to live a good life. And I hope the two of those together. And I have to look at this person in love and say, there's a strong chance you aren't going to heaven. Because the Bible says that we are saved by grace alone, by faith alone, and nothing we do. If you're putting any confidence in what you've done, you're in trouble. So... In Acts chapter 15, these people, the, the thing they added to it was, well, you, you, you are really not saved unless you've been circumcised, according to the custom of Moses. And after Paul and Barnabas had no dis small dissension and debate with these guys who had come down from Jerusalem to the Antioch church to say this, Paul and Barnabas and some of the elders were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, by the way, real quick, this is not a debate that's happening amongst the whole congregation. Has anybody caught that? They go and meet with the whole church and the apostles and elders are there. But when it's time to sit down in a room and really wrestle with what is God saying, this is not a whole congregation discussion. Who's the only ones that get together to discuss this matter? Why just the apostles and the elders? I'm sorry? They definitely were part of the twelve. They were the leadership and they were the ones who were spiritually mature enough to listen to hear from God, to know what real truth was. Let's be honest, folks. 
I know we like to have everybody have an equal say, but not everybody's ready to deal with some of these issues. Not everybody's spiritually mature enough to deal with some of these issues. And we save our churches a whole lot of headache if we would let the congregation be involved in some things that everybody can be a part of. But there are certain issues that aren't to be debated amongst the whole congregation. Their God has designed leadership and they'll be held accountable for what they decide. The apostles and elders got together to descend to this matter. Verse 7, and after there had been much debate... Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. By the way, that was in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit preached through them at Pentecost. And if you ever go back and look at that story, you'll realize most of those people that heard and said, Aren't we hearing them in our language? They were Gentiles. They were Gentiles langu Gentile languages. And also you know that he also had the experience in Acts chapter 10 where God told him, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And he was told to go into the Gentile, Cornelius' house, and that story had been passed on. He says, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. In other words, the scripture even backs this up. Just as it is written, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent, the sorry, the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. In other words, the scripture backs this up too, guys. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has, has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Now, we're not going to go any further because you'll see then they, they, they agree that this is of God. They believe the Holy Spirit's involved. They bring it back before the church. The church says, yes, we, we, we trust your leadership. We trust your judgment. They send a letter from the church there in Jerusalem, from the elders and the, the apostles to that church in Antioch saying, we're really sorry that these guys came down and said these things to you. They're not true. And jump to chapter 16. It says, Paul also came to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. We read about him a few weeks ago. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now we got to stop for a second. Didn't Paul just be a part of this whole thing saying, hey, they don't have to be circumcised to be saved? That's wrong. That's, that's, that's false teaching. They don't have to be circumcised to be saved. And he went up to Jerusalem and, he, and they debated it. And the apostles and elders said, you know what? That's true. And they sent a letter saying that, that why is Paul Tim circumcising Timothy here? Well, yes, but <laughs> it's more than that. Keep going. Why, why did God say so? Go ahead. He was part Jewish. His mother was a Jew. His father was a Gentile. And Was he circumcising Timothy because if he wasn't circumcised, he wasn't saved? No. no, it had nothing to do with his salvation. It had everything to do with, as you quoted before, Paul says, I become all things to all people that I may win some. To the Jew, I become like a Jew. To the Gentile, I become like a Gentile, and so on. And so in this instance here, he's not circumcising him so he'll be saved. He's just simply realizing, for me to be able to get in a door that I need to get in and pre preach the gospel, these people knowing that his father is a Gentile are going to want to, I'm going to say it nicely, check his drawers. <laughs> it gave him street cred. It gave him street cred. Hey, folks, let me just tell you something that I have to do in my travels. Everywhere I go, I ask the pastor of the church that's calling me to come and speak two questions. I say, how does the pastor typically dress on Sunday morning? Now, could I win an argument scripturally on the fact that I'm right, free to dress however I want on Sunday? Yes, I could. 
but that's not my purpose. My purpose is to go into a place where they don't know who Jim Johnson is, but to gain a hearing. And I don't want the fact that I'm not wearing a tie or that I am wearing a tie getting in the way of what it is that I know God wants to say through me. And so I say, tell me how he normally dresses. That's how I'll dress. Oh, some churches have a real issue about certain translations versus other translations. Could I win an argument over which translation is approved or are they all okay? Yes, I could win an argument. But again, <laughs> what translation do you normally use? If it's a King James only church, I'll bring my King James Bible and we'll go. Why? Because I want them to hear what it is God wants to say through me, but it's not a salvation issue. Now, if they say, unless you use the King James, you're not saved, we have to talk. <laughs> we have to talk. Trust me, I've been in those churches. I've been in churches where they say, if you use the ESV or the NIV, and, I, and you lead someone to faith in Jesus Christ, they will look you in the eye and say, that person's not saved. Because they don't believe that any other translation is the word of God. And it was all, all those other translations they think were written by the devil. And therefore, if I use the book that was written by the devil to lead you to Christ, you're not saved. And they believe it strongly. Sometimes you have to just shake this dust off and move on. In this instance, though, Paul, not for salvation purposes, but so that he doesn't want that to get in the way of where he's going to go and he's going to be taking Timothy with him. He has him circumcised because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. But look at verse 4. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. By the way, what's the decision that the apostles and elders who had been in Jerusalem had just come up with? You don't got to be circumcised to be saved. You don't got to do any works to be saved. It is all by faith alone that's by God's gift of grace. That's it. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins and you trust him as your salvation, if you believe that God will just give you righteousness because you know that you weren't righteous in God's eyes and that God will just give it to you because you believe that Jesus lived a sinless life, you believe he was punished for your sin, you believe he rose from the dead, the Bible says if you believe that and you say, Lord, I need it, he'll give it to you and the righteousness is yours and you're saved and you're going to heaven. But what about all this other stuff? Not necessary to go to heaven. Yet, there are going to be times that some of these other things you might have to pay attention to so that people will listen to you when you come and preach to them the good news. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, you don't want to be a source of offense, unnecessary offense, when it has really to do nothing more with Well, and the Bible says, you know. basically saying, you go, you know, abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled. From, I, that's a whole list of... Don't do this, don't do that, don't mm -hmm. do this, don't do that. So, you know, they were putting a little bit of a burden. But Paul does say, you know, don't call things clean or don't call things unclean. That I, God says don't right. call things unclean, unclean that, that I call, I call clean. clean. And you know that but whole section. I don't want to be an offense to somebody who doesn't have a spiritual maturity. which is Exactly. And that's another whole study for another time. Romans 14 talks about that. Paul talks about it in the first Corinthians. You know and I know that that meat that was offered to an idol was offered to the wind because there's no other gods. Yet, if it's going to cause my brother to have a problem, I'm going to avoid it for a time. Doesn't mean I'll never eat it. I just won't be doing it in his presence. And again, there's a whole, that's another study for another time about how we're to live our lives so that we're not causing our brothers to have issues, yet at the same time knowing full well how free we are in Christ to live how we want. There are those who take that freedom and say, well, it doesn't matter. I'm free to do whatever I want. Well, you didn't read the rest of the book where it says that how you live is going to be watched by others. And if they're not quite where you are spiritually, you need to keep that in mind. Folks, I could, I could spend a night tonight showing you how in and of itself alcohol is not a sin. The Bible is very clear on not being drunk. The Bible is very clear on the fact that we're not to be in, do it in excess. Yet at the same time, I know for the purposes that God wants to do in my life, he has said to Jim Johnson, do not ever drink. Why? Because of what he wants to do in my life and what, how he's going to use me. I don't want Satan to even have a chance to say, oh, look at Jim. Look what he's doing. I'm free to, and with both people that have issues in those areas. But at the same time, please do not step back and judge someone who does have a drink. Because otherwise, you need to judge Jesus. Oh, Jim, that was grape juice. No, it wasn't. <laughs> the same word that says Jesus turned the water into wine is the exact same word that says don't get drunk on, can't be grape juice. <laughs> That's why the king said, hell, hey, this is the good stuff. Folks, let me just tell you, there's lots of issues 
that we start turning into bigger issues than we should, yet at the same time, are you spiritually mature enough in, knowledge, in your knowledge of the truth and the knowledge of your freedom to live your life in such a way that you'll actually avoid it for the sake of your brothers and sisters who aren't there yet? Or are you just going to say, well, I'm right and they're wrong and therefore, you see what I'm saying? There's a danger, but the biggest issue, and this is where we're going to go, the biggest issue that Paul really dealt with was those who came and said, if you're not doing it this way, you're not saved. Those were fighting words for Paul. You know, when it came to alcohol or no alcohol or eating meat sacrificed to idols or not and these types of things, those weren't salvation issues. They didn't make them a point of salvation. They were just personal preferences. Paul says, whatever the Spirit's telling you to do in that instance, you listen to the Spirit of God. Yet, when it came to this issue, he called them dogs, mutilators of the flesh. I'm going to jump ahead in my notes. Keep a finger here in, in Acts 16. Go with me to Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse 1, verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> Paul says, For freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law then. You want to go back and be under rules and under laws and, I, and I'm righteous because I'm doing the right thing? You want to do that? You need to obey the whole law, not just the ones parts of it that you think you can keep. You want to go back to that kind of a relationship with God where you're righteous because you did the right thing? You now have to keep the whole law. How are you going to do? That's why he says he's obligated to keep the whole law. Verse 4, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Not saying you lost your salvation. He's saying you don't got it. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Whoever's come in here and say, you've got to be circumcised to be saved, or you've got to do these things to really be able to go to heaven. Whoever's told you these things, they're in trouble with God. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed, and this is what I love. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Do you see it? I, I wish they'd cut it all off, is what he said. I, I wish they would. Folks, this is why. And, and I, don't want, I don't want you to miss this. Because we don't have the circumcision debate in our churches today. But I want you to see how much Satan has really tried to infiltrate this false teaching. As wherever Paul went, he was trying to, to, to hinder do you think he's not still trying to do it today? And we need to understand, like Paul, that if anyone is teaching anything besides salvation by grace alone, by faith alone, if anyone is saying you also have to do this, let him be eternally damned, Paul said. Because that is a false teaching. It is dangerous and they're teaching something that is not salvation. Are there things that we could disagree on, on mode of dress and women's role in ministry and mode of baptism and all these different things that we have our debates in? Yes, they're not salvation issues. If someone's out there teaching, but in order to really be saved, you also have to do this, whatever it is. Paul said, that's serious stuff in the eyes of God. That's serious stuff. And I want you to see, go back and look at verse uh, chapter 15, uh, 16 again, back to verse 4. I want you to see how Paul now traveled around sharing the message or the, the, the decision of the apostles and the elders. Verse 4, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Now, as I'm about to show you, not only did Paul take this to the church in Philippi, because if you keep reading, where's the first place they go? 
After Acts 15, and they have this situation where the people came down and said, unless they're circumcised, they're not saved. Paul says, whoa, 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 whoa. We got to nip this in the bud now. They go up to Jerusalem. They have the debate. They understand the Spirit of God reveals through Scripture and through what God's doing and through them praying about it that no, they're not to be circumcised. It's by faith alone. That's the decision. They send the letter. And now Paul takes this decision wherever he goes. Where's the first place he goes, according to our account right here? It's Philippi. He tries to go into Asia, Spirit won't let him. Tries to go into Mysia, Spirit won't let him. Has the vision of the man of Macedonia saying, come and preach the gospel to us. So one of the first places Paul comes and shares this decision that salvation is by faith alone, grace alone, that's it, is Philippi. So don't you know that when Paul got to Philippi, one of the things he was teaching them was, don't let anybody try and tell you that you need to add anything else to your faith in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Is baptism important? That was a question, by the way. Sure is. I mean, I look at it this way. If the one who wrote the book is living inside of you and he says be baptized, I'd be baptized if I were you. But we can debate over what the baptism is, whether it's a sprinkle or a dunk. or And I... And I could show you where I stand, because Romans 14 says each one needs to be fully convinced in their own mind about these issues. Do you need to be baptized in order to be saved? No. That's true. If it were a work. Again, if you were to say to me, hey, I believe in Jesus, I don't need to be baptized. I'd say, oh, I hope the one that wrote it's living inside of you. Yet at the same time, for me to go to the next step and say, if you're not baptized, you're not saved, that's a danger. I, there, there are denominations that actually teach if you're not baptized, you aren't saved. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking with this one guy in this one church. I said, let's just say hypothetically uh, that a man gets saved in a church right here, the church building, and there's no baptistry. But there's a pond right across the street. And so he trusts Christ as Savior and they walk across the street to go get baptized and he gets hit by a truck. Is he in heaven? This was his answer. I sure hope. (laughs) But again, it was, he had been taught all his life. He was repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. You take one verse, you can try and twist it into saying, that doesn't match with the whole of scripture. Paul had been teaching, if anybody comes and says that you have to add anything to this, let him be damned. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul actually wrote, extensively, if you've actually done any study of Paul's letters, you'll realize this is an issue he's dealing with all the time with every group he writes to. I I could spend the next five weeks just reading to you the passages where Paul deals with this issue. I'm only touching on a few. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verses 11 through 22. He says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That's between Jew and Gentile. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, made of Jews and Gentiles, in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, and whom the structure being joined together and grows being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in him you also are being built together in a dwelling place for the, by God for our, for his spirit let's listen to what I want you to see Paul says you guys who were gentiles who were called the uncircumcision and they saw themselves as better than you when Jesus took care of sin by his own body he took away the law and all the regulations and all the you have to do this in order to be right before God. 
And as you've heard me teach before, what was God's purpose for the law? It was to show us you couldn't keep it. Once you realize you can't keep it, its purpose has been accomplished. Now you realize you need a savior and then it will drive you to Jesus Christ. The law was a guardian for a time to just kind of give rules and regulations, but its purpose was never to save you. It never was to save you. It was to simply help you realize you can't do it. Once you realize you can't, now you're ready, hopefully, for the good news, which is God's already done it for you through Jesus himself. He took on flesh. He lived without sin. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And God punished him instead of you and I. And he rose from the dead by his own power. And for all who will believe that what Jesus did will cover them. And those who respond in faith and say, God, give it to me. I believe you will. We have been given righteousness. And is anything we did? No, nothing we did. It was all been done by him. He did it. He offered it. He drew us. When we said yes, it's given to us as a gift. Oh, that's a neat thing, and that's another whole study for another time. If he gives you it to you, it's yours forever because he'll never take it away. You don't do anything to get it. You can't do anything to lose it. Yes, sir. Just one quick thing. That um, verse 15, to me, uh, was the most important thing that as a Catholic that I ever saw it because I kept arguing with him with grace and peace. And he talks about it, and he says, and thus making peace. Yeah. In other words, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Well, there's grace and we're at peace with God at Romans chapter 5 because of Jesus. We're at peace with God. There's people out there still staying, but you still need to. No. Oh, does God want to see good behavior? Of course. Is he striving to conform us into his image? Yes. Is he trying to mold us into, to become more and more like Christ? Yes. Is he wanting us to learn how to live to the yield of the spirit and say no to the flesh? Yes. Is he wanting us to say no to sin in our bodies? Yes. And all that's true. But when you say that unless you do it, you're not saved... Be careful. That's not what the Bible teaches. And what was finished on the cross when Jesus said it is finished. Exactly. Exactly. If we still have to do stuff. But yet, folks, like I say, circumcision is not really the issue today. But what Satan was trying to do in that circumcision problem and debate, he's still trying to do today. We'll go to Colossians chapter 2. Look at verses 6 through 23. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 23. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. By the way, how did you receive Jesus as Lord? By faith. Which is a gift. Just keep trusting him. Walk in him that way. Now look what he goes on and says. See to it, verse 8, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. What did, someone paraphrase that for me. What did Paul just say? You've been made complete. Why? Because of Jesus who's within you. And by the way, is Jesus God? Is he lacking anything? Therefore, anybody says, yeah, but you're lacking. No. No. I am righteous because of Jesus. Again, we try to get into this. Yeah, but what about this and what about that? Yeah, those are issues that God's going to deal with with me. But it's not a salvation issue. Do you understand? I want you to understand. Is this a salvation issue? Do you, is, are you saved by your faith in Jesus Christ? And that is all. Anything that I think I have to do in order to be saved, along with believing in Jesus, is false doctrine. It gets even more clear. Look at what he goes on and says. He says, um, look at verse 11. In him, in Christ, you were circumcised. That's interesting. With a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh... By the circumcision of Christ. Now, I don't know if you know much about circumcision. Hopefully you all do. When you circumcise someone physically, you cut away a piece of flesh. And what do they typically do with it? Throw it away. God's given us a picture of salvation. We're to have no confidence in our flesh. We're to be throwing it away. Right? Now listen. 
What happened when you got saved? God spiritually circumcised you, according to what Scripture says here. He cut away the flesh. And you're going to see Paul explain to us in a little bit here. I don't know if we'll have time to get there tonight, but I hope we do. How Paul in Philippians chapter 3 explains how he goes, If anybody has a reason to have confidence in the flesh, I have the most. And what does he list as his flesh? He doesn't list fornication and adultery. He lists his hard work, his zeal, his effort, the stuff he was doing to be righteous before God. He says, I throw it all away. I throw it all away. Just like in circumcision, you cut the piece of flesh away and you throw it away. And now we have, because of Christ, we have been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he, God, set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a what? How many of us were raised? That Sunday was the Sabbath, and you better follow these rules, or else you're in trouble with God. Scripture all along said, don't anybody judge you on that. These are shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, not holding fast to the head, which is Jesus, as you know, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in this world, do you submit to regulations? In other words, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that are all perish as they are used, that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Is it valuable to practice the spiritual disciplines? There are spiritual disciplines the Bible talks about of silence and prayer and fasting. Those are valuable. Do they make you closer to God from God's standpoint? Mm -mm. Do you get more points with God because you fast and your guy next to you doesn't? No. Are they beneficial to you in your walking with God and saying no to the flesh as you practice some of these disciplines? Yes. What? They can be if you go at them with the right attitude. If you're doing it for the purpose of getting points with God, it doesn't, doesn't help. You're right. So here's what I want you to hear. And this is where we're going to go for the time we have left tonight. Everywhere that Paul went, Jewish people were coming and attacking him, and Jewish Christians were running into those churches behind Paul and teaching this false doctrine of, okay, but you still need to do this too. And Paul said to the church in Philippi, it's not a problem for me to write the same things to you, and actually it'll be safe for you. Go to Philippians chapter 1. Look at verses... Uh, um, 27 through 30. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or in absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your what? Your adversaries or your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. What was the conflict that Paul's had to deal with? By the way, if you were to go back and look at Acts 17 and read verses 1 through 15, you'll realize that after he's preaching there in Philippi, uh, he heads to the next place. And he starts preaching and people get saved and Jewish people hear that he's there and they run and they stir the crowd up to get him beat up. And then he moves to the next town and that they hear that he's there and they run to that town. And not only has Paul been persecuted because of his preaching of the truth of the gospel, 
everywhere that he has left salvation, if you will, or people that are saved or the church, Satan's gone after them. Let me just say something to you, folks. What I'm saying to you tonight, if you really do preach what the scripture says here, there'll be many who disagree and many who oppose you. Why? Because there are a lot of people in the church today who have fallen prey to this teaching of Satan, and in their minds, there is righteousness by being obedient. In their minds, you gain righteousness by being obedient. Actually, the Bible says it's the other way around. Your righteousness will produce obedience. But they actually flip it. And listen, they can make great arguments. Remember one time I was sitting in a Sunday school class and this one teacher so well, uh, eloquently put it. He was talking in that passage in the Gospel of Mark where the Pharisees came and said, Jesus, don't you realize your disciples are eating with unwashed hands? And they weren't talking about like my kids, you know, who <laughs> did. I mean, well, sometimes, you know, you hold hands around the table before the meal and you'll hold hand with one of your kids and you go, OK, did you did you wash? Because now I'm going to have to wash, you know. I'm not talking that kind of hand washing. There was a ceremonial hand washing that they used to teach the Pharisees and there's a certain way to do things so that in case you touch something that was quote unquote unclean and they had to pour with a certain type of bowl and a certain type of cup and you'd let it run down your fingers and this. It was just unbelievable, the stuff that they used to teach. And this one Sunday school teacher got up that day. He explained what the Pharisaical teaching was and then he said, I can probably in seven sentences in logical progression convince you that you need to wash your hands in this manner. We all sat there like, yeah, come on. And then he said, well, don't you think that it's important to God that we follow some of his rules? Don't you think that it's important? And he started using human reasoning and human logic, and he went boom, 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 and even some of the strongest Christians in the room were sitting there going, maybe we are supposed to. <laughs> it was amazing. And folks, let me just tell you, this. we could go on to, into this in too much detail tonight, but listen, you got to be careful. What did we just read in Colossians chapter 2? Be Watch out for those who will use human tradition and cunning in their words. There is a lot of false doctrine that is being taught today because people are using human logic and reasoning. They'll take a verse and then they'll say, well, if that's the case, then don't you think this and then that would be this? And then the next thing you know, you're following and you're falling prey to false teaching and you don't even realize it, but they threw the Bible away a long time ago. You got to be careful. How are you going to know? You got to know what the book says and you got to check everything, even everything Jim Johnson says. Check what I'm telling you against the scriptures. I don't want you, anybody walking out of here and saying, I don't have to worry about that or that or that because Jim said, no, you better. I'm going to be held accountable for everything I says. Thus I say, thus says the Lord. And at the same time, you're going to be held accountable for whether or not you have checked what I've said. That's why I don't want anybody following Jim. Well, Jim says, Jim says, oh, man, if you think Jim says, you're already in the wrong way. If God used me to help you understand the scriptures, thank the Lord. But hopefully you'll say the scripture says. And I don't even remember who said it. But at the same time, watch out for those who can use human logic and convince you of things that aren't scriptural, but they make sense. That's the danger. And folks... There are so many people that have fallen prey to that kind of teaching over the years that when you preach what I'm preaching to you tonight, they'll squirm in their seats. They'll be uncomfortable. They'll think this guy's a heretic. I remember preaching on grace at this one church about four years ago. I preached a series on grace and what grace really means. And this one pastor came to me afterwards and he said, Jim, I know you're right, but you can't tell them. You can't tell them because they'll abuse it. They'll run amok. And I had to lovingly say to the pastor, have you read the Bible? Because the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 and 1 John chapter 5 that those of us who have been truly born again of the Spirit won't go on sinning. Doesn't mean we won't sin, but we will not run amok if we're truly saved. And when Paul says, shall we go on sinning so we can get more grace? Paul never said, watch out. He said, God forbid, we died to that. That's not, I don't even want to look, let me look at it that way. I'm so free on this side, I focus on this. I don't focus on how close to sin I can get. I focus on how close. The whole point is, there's a lot of us who have been taught God needs man's help in getting man where God wants him to be. And we've made a bunch of rules 
And without realizing it, some of those rules have become religion. I say to you, don't start judging your brother and what rules they still have or don't have. Oh, if they say that person's not saved because they do this or they do that. No, no, be careful. Salvation is by God's grace alone through faith alone. There are going to be days that I don't look saved. I hope you believe me when I tell you I am. Because of Jesus. At the same time, there are many who think they're going to be okay with God because they've been working really hard and that has to count. I say to you, be careful. Be careful. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible teaches. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. I love how Paul goes on to point out that if anyone could get points with God for their obedience to the law in their own, in their own human effort, Paul himself would be at the top of that list. I love it. Look what he says in verses 4 through 6. He says, uh, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was persecuting the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, I don't know if you caught what he just said. Folks, he said, if anybody, here they are saying that I'm teaching a gospel that's weak and shallow and that their righteousness is superior to mine because they've done these things. If anybody had a reason to teach that kind of a thing, I should be the first one. Because if anybody could earn righteousness, I challenge you to find anybody that's been more righteous than me. That's what he's saying. If anybody has reason to have confidence in the flesh, in their own effort, in what they've done, I have the most. He says, I was circumcised, but I wasn't just circumcised. I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's the law. He said, what day? And I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, the people of Israel. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Oh, as to the, the law... I was a Pharisee. By the way, we're not going to turn there, but in Matthew, um, I got it written down here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus makes a very interesting statement. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees, you can't get to heaven. Why did Jesus say that to people? Okay, but it's deeper than that. How did the people view the Pharisees? They thought they were the best. I mean, the people walking around, they knew. I don't keep the law like the Pharisees do. I mean, the Bible even says they tied on their mint and their cumin. I mean, they probably counting the flakes. I don't know if you know this or not, but some devout Orthodox Jews that are still under the law in their minds... In parts of this country today and in parts of the world, on Friday night, there are Jewish people who are tearing toilet paper squares off ahead of time because to pull off a piece of toilet paper to use in the restroom on the Sabbath would be to work. And they so much don't want to be unrighteous by having worked on the Sabbath that they will on Friday night before 6 p.m. calculate how much they're going to need tomorrow <laughs> and tear it off ahead of time and it'll already be pre-torn so that when they need to use it on the Sabbath, they don't break the Sabbath by tearing a piece of paper. This is no joke. This is legit. The Pharisees were known. And what did he say? He even said it himself. As to legalistic obedience to the law, he was what? Blameless. Folks, that's a pretty bold statement. Now, according to the eyes of God, had he broken God's law? Well, of course. Remember, Jesus himself said, look, if you, you think you haven't committed adultery, if you look lustily at a woman, you've committed adultery. You think you haven't murdered anybody? If you've had a hatred towards your brother without reason, it's like murder. Shall I go on? God says. He was showing them that even if you think you've kept it perfect, you haven't. Because it's deeper. God's not looking at your outward obedience. He's looking at your heart. He's looking at your heart. 
If anybody, Paul said, had reason to have confidence, if anybody was out there preaching righteousness through what they did, I should have the biggest megaphone. I even was so zealous for this way of life that these guys that are running around trying to kill me come, are coming out of. I was so zealous for that. I was out there persecuting the church. By the way, when's the first time we ever even see Paul's name? His name was Saul at the time. When's the first time we ever see him mentioned? At the stoning of Stephen, the very first Christian that we have recorded that was put to death for their faith. And Paul was there, Saul at the time, approving of what was going on. And they laid their feet. At, in other words, the people that were actually throwing the rocks took their outer coats off so they could throw the, sto the stones better. And they laid them at his feet. And he was there at the stoning of Stephen. Folks, let's just be honest. Paul hated this gospel so much because it went against everything he had been raised in, that he actually was guilty of murder. Not just Stevens, but most likely others. Because he was going city to city, wherever these people were coming to faith. And he wasn't twisting the gospel by saying, hey, you gotta be circumcised too. He was having them put to prison and death for even believing it. And of all people, he now is going to prison and eventually death himself for the sake of the gospel. Why? Why? Because he had an experience with God through Jesus Christ who Jesus, when Jesus himself came to him on the road to Damascus. And he said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Oh, I love that. That's another whole message for another day. But when somebody messes with God's people, God takes it personally. He said, why are you messing with those Christians? No, he didn't say that. He said, why are you persecuting me? When Paul came to a saving relationship by, through Jesus Christ, and he came to realize that his righteousness was not, well, how does he put it? Go back to Philippians chapter 3. He says, if anybody has a reason for this kind of confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day. People of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew, Hebrews, as a law of Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had counted Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or obedience to any set of rules, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God that depends on what? Faith. He said, I came to realize that all that stuff that I had put my confidence in was a waste of time. It wasn't getting me closer to God. It actually was me putting confidence in myself. And I throw it all away. We're going to get into, when we get back together in a few weeks, what the real righteousness through God and not of ourselves really is. I, really, I know I'm talking to mostly Christians here, if not all Christians in this room, and people listening online right now. I don't know where you stand with the Lord. And I just really felt like God wanted us to take the time, and we'll do that when we get back together, to really look at what is the gospel of righteousness that comes from God and not from us. What does it really mean? What does it say? And we're going to break it down according to Paul's teaching in Romans in great detail. We're going to go back and look at what he said there in Romans. But for tonight, I just want to kind of wrap up in this way. If I were to ask you tonight, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Don't answer out loud. What would your answer be? First of all, I'm going to ask you a yes or no question. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Yes or no? Answer in your mind. The answer is no. Please do not leave here until you've talked to me or somebody else here about how you may get that taken care of because it's a gift and God will give it to you tonight. And it can turn from a no to a yes, real simply. Yet at the same time, if your answer is yes, I'm gonna ask you another question. How do you know? Why? Why do you think you know? Because over the years, I've asked this question of a lot of people and a lot of people have not only said, I hope so, which I've had to deal with, a lot of people have said yes. And I've looked at them and I said, okay, how do you know? And this is what many of them say, because I've been a good person. Oh, a lot of times I'll ask people this question. 
If we can get to heaven by being good, why did Jesus die on the cross? What was the point of that? If we can be good enough to get to heaven, why did Jesus die on the cross? Most people, most people have said, well, I've never thought of that. And I'll let the Spirit of God take it from there. But there was one day I was actually not really hired, although I did pay for my golf. But a man in this one church I was pastor of had a buddy that he wanted to get saved. And he knew this buddy played golf and he knew I played golf. And so he told me, Pastor, I want you to lead my friend to Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm going to pay for your golf and I'm going to put you in the cart with him and I want you to convert him. Now, again, learning how to bite my tongue is something I'm getting better at. And uh, so I get in the cart and this man, he's in his 70s or 80s and he knows full well why the preacher has been put in the cart. <laughs> and he's not comfortable. And he, as we're driving to the first tee, is at the Habitat Golf Course over in Valkyria. As we're driving to the first tee, he says to me, he says this, he says, Preacher, let's get something straight. I don't think man should determine what sin is. Now, what he's thinking is this, that I'm going to sit in the cart and I'm going to play the role of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't know it's the Holy Spirit's job, not mine. But he thinks I'm going to play the role of the Holy Spirit and try to convince him he's a sinner. So he wants to quickly put up that defense and say, man should not determine what sin is because that'll keep me from pointing out his sin. And I said, I agree with you 100%. Man shouldn't determine what sin is. I said, let me ask you a simple question. If you died today, would you go to heaven? He said, yes. I said, how, how do you know? He said, because uh, I've been a good person. I said, wow, that's awesome that you... I'm sure you're going to heaven by being good, but i got to ask you a simple question. If we can get to heaven by being good, why did Jesus die on the cross? Now, again, most people say, well, I never thought about that. This man actually responded very interestingly. He said, I have an answer for that. I said, what's that? He said, Jesus died on the cross to cover our mortal sins. I've only committed venial sins. Now, I know where he's coming from. He's come from a church that talks that there's different types of sins. Some are mortal sins, some are venial sins. He said, uh, Jesus died to cover mortal sins. I've never committed any mortal sins. I've only committed venial sins. I said, wow, that's interesting. I've read the whole Bible. I don't see anywhere where some sins are mortal sins and some sins are venial sins. Who determined which ones are which? He said, oh, the priests. <laughs> I said, let me ask you a question. Aren't you the one that said that you don't think man should determine what sin is? This is what he said. He said, I've talked myself into a corner, haven't I? <laughs> I said, sir, I need you to understand that Jesus died on the cross to cover all sins. And until you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not going to heaven. But if you believe that what he did covers you and that you need it, he will give you righteousness as a gift. And I'm not going to talk to you about this anymore unless you ask me. If you have questions, I'd love to answer them. But for right now, you've just got to deal with the fact that all this time you thought you were okay. And I want you to consider the fact that you're not. Now, I'd love to tell you the story how on the 17th green, he got on his knees and gave his life to Jesus. I, to this day, don't know if he's in heaven or hell. But my father was pleased with me because I did what he told me to do when I planted the seed and I watered it and we go from there. But folks, let me just tell you, you may be sitting here tonight and you too have been to church your whole life. And your answer was, I, I've been pretty good. I've, I've done the right things. I, I, I try, to, try to be good. And I, I ask Jesus to save me every day. Oh, you don't understand. All you need to do is trust and receive. And then he gives it to you. It's a gift. One time. You don't need to be saved again and again and again. The Bible says that at the point of salvation, we have passed from death to life. Isn't that what it said? Let me ask you an honest question. Have you passed from death to life? Because of Jesus giving you salvation as a gift. And you can look me in the eye and say, I know I'm going to heaven because of Jesus and him alone. He's given it to me as a gift. Have I lived like it? I've had it. No, not all the time. Neither have I. Neither have you. But I know I'm going to heaven when I die, and it has nothing to do with Jim Johnson. It has everything to do with what God has promised. We're going to get into that in great detail in a few weeks when we come back. But for tonight, please, please, please do not leave here if the answer is I don't know or no. If the answer is yes, it better not have any ands in it. <laughs> It's Jesus has given it to me, and I know I'm going to heaven. I've received it. I've passed from death to life. You don't even have to know the day or the minute. 
I just know mine was in 1973. I know that it was in some September sometime. Couldn't tell you what day it was or what day of the week, but I know where I was when he forgave me and I received his gift. Do you have any confidence in your efforts? That's your flesh. Anything done in your effort is done in the flesh. My prayer is, is that none of us will have any confidence in anything we do, but we'll enjoy the freedom and the joy of knowing I'm at peace with God. I love how you said we're at peace with God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, again, thank you for this chance to open your word. I thank you that as much as I strive in my mind and my preparation to get so far, as we really start to break it down, it's obvious there's so much here we'd be sinning to run ahead. So, Lord, I thank you that you've already given me my notes for two, three weeks from now. They're already written out and ready to go. And I look forward to when we get able to get back together and, and to really dive into this some more. Father, I look forward to us taking a look at when Paul said that he, for the sake of Christ, he's lost all things. I'm going to take a look at what it is that he lost. Are we trying to uh, live in two worlds instead of one when the Bible says we're to be living with our minds and our mindset on heaven where you are. Well, we're in this world, but we're not of it. We're not focusing on this world, but on the one to come. Lord, help us to, to really allow these truths of our salvation to take a root in such a way that we don't try to become more righteous, but it just happens as we learn to yield in real faith in the same way we, we got saved. We didn't try to save ourselves anymore. We believe you'll do it. Lord, may we learn on a daily basis how to just trust that you will sanctify us through and through. The one who called us is faithful and he'll do it. Lord, may we learn how to let you take care of those areas of obedience or disobedience and believing you will. Lord, may we stop trying to make rules that show that we don't think you can take care of your children. That man needs a set of rules to take care of him. Lord, may we enjoy the freedom we've been given. At the same time, may we never, ever, ever take this truth to the point where we say, Sin is not a big deal. Lord, what you went through on the cross is evidence enough that sin is a big deal. But may we believe enough that you're able to deal with it. In your name we pray. Amen.